great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com's our main website, and ClarkDeals.com, that's where you go to save money each and every day. Coming up in just a few minutes in today's Clark Radius Moment, I'm going to share a story with you that when I first heard about it, I was thinking, wow, that sounds like That would be just a spoof. This wouldn't really be happening. But it's a fair warning for you I want to share with you to keep you safe on the road. And coming up yet later, we have a dramatic shortage of dental care in the United States. And there is a partial solution I want to share with you that I believe is going to spread around the United States like wildfire. So I wanted to tell you that it has become a constant source of complaints I hear from you about buying tickets on American United and Delta, and then only after you bought a non-refundable ticket do you find out that it's the dreaded economy basic. Economy basic is a product that shows complete contempt for you as a customer. It is a bait-and-switch product. It is designed to make you miserable to the point that you will never buy one again. And it allows American United and Delta to show up in fair search results where they might not otherwise. I was... Uh, rushing to go to a funeral about three months ago. And I was doing a fair search, all the different ways I do it, and a fare shows up on one of the three full fare airlines for $118 one way to go coast to coast. I'm like, wow, that's unreal. And I click on it, and... It turned out that it was 118 for economy basic or for regular economy it was $474 one way 118 economy basic 474 otherwise what's the difference between them well with economy basic you're not allowed to have a seat assignment and you're typically assigned to a center seat at the time of departure. If a plane is oversold, you're the first person denied boarding. And your carry-on bag typically is $60 if you're allowed to bring it on board, but usually not. And the list goes on from there. In fact, the airlines, I, I read recently what, the financial people from the three full fare airlines told Wall Street analysts, and one of them was just bragging about how this is the greatest thing ever, that people come and look to book our seat, and then we tell them all the things that are terrible about it, and 50% of them will then click and buy the higher fare. I mean, could it be more clear that the three full fare airlines are using these as a way to bait you to buy and try to look somewhat as cheap 
is one of the mid-price or discount airlines, and it's really just a game. So Google, with Google, and I know a lot of people are polarized about Google, but Google has the best airfare search thing there is available called google.com slash flights. Not a very exciting name, but it's the best airfare search that exists. And now when you go to buy a ticket or you see a result on the three full fare airlines, American, United, and Delta, Google Flights will tell you a warning and it'll show you how awful your flight experience will be. (laughs) And they list a misery index showing you the flights that you're booking. They tend to be on time or not, which a lot of times when you see a really cheap fare, it's going to be a connection through one of the three full fare lines hub cities. And if a flight has a really bad record of on-time arrival, then you're likely to miss a connection, be stranded or delayed heavily in some connecting point. So good for Google doing this. I just want you to know and understand the game that American United and Delta are playing on you. Jasmine is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jasmine. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Jasmine. How can I serve you? Well, let me say, it's such a privilege to speak with you. I've listened to you for years. Thank you. led me to make many sound financial decisions. So thank you so much for what you do. Well, I'm glad for that. Thank you. (laughs) So I'm 32 years old, and I'll be getting a promotion in a couple weeks with a raise of about $11,500 a year. No so way, I, no way. Congratulations to you. That's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I want to save or invest this extra income to get the best thing for my book. So what would you say is the best allocation of these funds between an online savings account with an interest rate of a, a one and a quarter percent, um, my 401k and my Roth IRA? So I would say that unless you have a need for the money in a short window over the next few years or you have no rainy day money put aside, I would say I'd like you to look first at the Roth IRA and second at increasing contributions to your 401k. So the real test, and this is how I want you to make this decision, is if you are really good at having put rainy day money aside, then you don't have to worry about that. And it just is a matter of Roth or 401k. My preference would be highest priority that you get that Roth as close to or to the max of 5500 each year. And then beyond that, increase your contributions to the 401k. On the other hand, if your rainy day is a little weak, I want you to increase your contributions to this online savings account till you built up a decent rainy day fund and then go do the Roth IRA and the 401k. And I'd like to congratulate you once again on the huge promotion with that fantastic, fantastic raise. Edwin's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Edwin. 
Hey, Clark. Thanks so much for taking my call. My pleasure, Edwin. So you're interested in maybe getting into rental properties. That's correct. Um, I'm specifically interested in investing, I guess it's an investment strategy of buying, rehabbing, and managing rental properties through a third party, um, which allows me to keep my day job and really puts the onus on another company or a person to do the legwork of finding a good rental market, um, rehabbing it, um, which would include uh, fixing air conditioner, updating windows, um, doing the roofs, and managing it for me. That money you were hoping to make just blew to smithereens. (laughs) I have never, ever seen one of these things often referred to as turnkey real estate investing. It's a common term for that. I have Mm -hmm. never seen one that actually worked for an individual ending up uh, indirectly, because you're not doing the work, buying a distressed individual rental property, having it fixed up for you, handling everything for you, I have never seen the math work. Okay. Because there's their interests are not necessarily aligned with yours. Right. And it's to their interests. You always want to have your economic interests lined up together. And mm-hmm. so there's no incentive for them not to run up the cost on something because they're just passing those things off on you. Mm-hmm. And the more they run up the cost, the more their um, cost plus thing increases. And okay. I just, I don't see any way you make that work. So can I give you the passive alternative? Yes, please. Passive alternative is to invest in a uh, uh, typically a REIT, real estate investment trust, or a REIT mutual fund and or a REIT index fund. And what that means is this is where professionals go out and often they'll specialize in one type of real estate investing, could be owning hotels, storage units, apartments, uh, shopping centers, medical centers, any of a number of typically specializations where that's their area of expertise. And they, in turn, do well when they make more money with it, and you do well when they make more money running it. And okay. that way, you're just a, an investor fully diversified. Instead of uh, hoping that they've identified and rehabbed the right individual house that you could make money from, instead, you, along with uh, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people, or an investor in an entire sector of real estate with many, many properties contained in it. Um, thank you. Uh, so it's R E I T. Yeah, and I'm going to give you some. I'm going to give you two of my favorite options. Okay. Okay. And this is this is just my favorites. This is not saying if you were going to invest in real estate passively, these are the two things you should look at. These are just two that I like. And there are probably many other very good choices. But one of them is the Vanguard Re-Index Fund. Okay. 
And the other is a fund called Cohen and Steers. I think it's called Cohen and Steers Realty Fund. C-O-H-E-N and Steers, S-T-E-E-R-S. Okay. And so when you when you tell me you would like to be invested in real estate but not have to do any of the the hands-on stuff, right. I want you to be really, really diversified and low cost. Okay. And nothing will be lower cost than the Vanguard. Uh, Cohen and Steers has a real reputation for identifying uh, very well who are the good operators in real estate. Wow. Thank so they you use so much. different kinds of strategies. Okay. So, uh, and I've had these calls, gosh, it's been going on probably five years. I get these calls about doing these turnkeys, and I just would like to warn anyone away from getting involved in one of these real estate ventures where somebody else takes care of all the work for you and you just cash the checks. It doesn't really work that way. Today's Clark Rage is one of those things that's just like nobody would think that up. But I want you to be really careful when you're out and about, especially a woman driving alone. Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Rage's moment. I remember years ago that a big thing was you'd be at a red light and somebody next to you would either tap their horn or if your window was open, they'd start speaking to you. Hey, I got a great deal on speakers in the van. Would you like some? And they'd get you to pull over. And a lot of times, the as I would hear from people on the air, they'd buy what they thought were speakers and they'd get home and it was a box just filled with rocks or something like that or wood or whatever and they just got taken and i did a tv story about a guy who bought a a tv story about a tv a guy who had somebody get him to move over and pulled into a parking lot the guy showed him a great tv and said you know i got this tv at so and so and who knows what the guy we had on TV thought it, why he thought the guy had this TV. Who knows what, why he thought there was such a good deal on one. He got home, and again, it was just filled with the box. was filled with debris. It gave it a weight like a TV, and he got completely taken. And good for him. He was willing to go on TV and have his face shown and tell the story. Well, this one is one that could be far more dangerous. And we have a write-up on this on Clark.com is that somebody comes up to you next to you and shows you, says, hey, your license tag, your license plate fell off your vehicle. We stopped and picked it up. Here it is. And they get you to pull over and your license tag is just fine on your vehicle and when they get you to stop they hold you up so what you need to know and by the way there are all kinds of reports about various things involving license tags and plates a lot of them are spoofs or jokes or whatever but this one seems to be actually happening 
And, Joel, let's see if we could sneak in and ask Clark right now. All right, Clark, let's do it. Stephen wrote in, he says, is it true that you only have to save tax records for seven years without fear of audit? Okay, technically correct. What I do is I save my tax records, the full documentation, for six years, and then I save the returns themselves forever. I have returns going back to the 1970s. The documentation, though, only the previous six tax years. And that way, the big danger with the IRS is when they say you failed to file, having a copy of an old return is the best protection you could have. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website, and Clark.com slash ask That's where you go to post a question for me. You can also ask a question for free off the air from a member of our team. That's been a service of our show for 25 years. And you can see the number and hours available each day by scrolling down a little on the main page of Clark.com. I got a couple of things to tell you about your teeth. First, we got a terrible problem in the United States with a severe shortage of dentistry available to the American people. And dentistry is a business that, uh, that is one where the people that are dentists are generally the happiest of medical professionals. They don't have to deal with the giant insurance companies for the most part, and they run their businesses as they see fit. But there's also this enormous shortage of dental care available. Dentists have resisted moves in the states, and Alaska is an exception, where in areas that are underserved by dentists, hygienists are able to do basic dental care like teeth cleanings, exams, fluoride treatments, things like that. But in state after state, the dentists have really fought that because they have not wanted the hygienists to essentially be in competition with them. So someone looked at that and thought, how do we turn the dentists from enemies of increasing the amount of dental care available into allies? And this is really, really smart. I saw a story about it in the New York Post. There's a service called Floss Bar that is appearing around the country, and I think this is one in competitors of it that will grow now that the clear business case works so well. Dental offices sit empty most hours of the week. Most dentists don't operate on Fridays, don't operate on the weekends, don't operate in the evenings. So the idea of this is that the dentist rents out his or her office in off hours Two hygienists that share a commission with the dentist and do things like teeth cleanings in that office when it would normally be generating no income. And then in turn, if the hygienist sees something that is uh, likely decay that needs the special attention of a dentist, there's a built-in referral system right then and there. I also think we need a national law 
that will allow hygienists to practice independently of dentists in rural underserved areas of the country. A massive swath of the middle of the heartland of the United States is frightfully underserved by dentistry, leading to terrible dental and medical problems. Because if your teeth are messed up, let me tell you, it can lead to medical problems as well. One way your teeth may stay healthier is something that has been invented in Europe, and it is a fully automatic toothbrush with artificial intelligence that cleans your teeth totally in 10 seconds. It looks like a bizarre mouthpiece that has a hook on the front that you use, and it's $99 for it for people that are participating in the Kickstarter for it. Who knows if it's going to work? Who knows how successful it's going to be? But the innovation I really am excited about. I remember last year at CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, there was a European invention that was a toothbrush that spoke by Bluetooth to your smartphone. It had a a rendering of your entire mouth, and you watched your phone while you brushed your teeth, and so you're still doing all the work, not like this AI thing. And you could see tooth by tooth that you'd properly cleaned each tooth while you were brushing it, and you knew when to move on. So this is an area where there's a lot of inventors working, a lot of things happening to improve our dental health. And then when you're you're trying to take care of your teeth, I love the inventiveness of coming up with a way to make dental care more affordable and more approachable for people. Josh is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Josh. Hey, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. Certainly, Josh. How can I be of service? So I have the uh, blessing and the curse of moving back home, and uh, the real estate market has been a lot more expensive since I was there originally, and I'm I'm curious to thoughts about how I'd, I'd like to buy a home for my growing family that works, and so it's an expensive market. Um, I've read things like 28, 32, 40 rules with respect to to purchasing a home, and I'm, I'm just curious your thoughts on that. All right, so what we're referring to are formulas where, uh, based on your income, and that's how you figure out how much home you can afford. I am not a fan of any of those. And you're going to hear how I think you decide what is the target price for a home, and you're going to think that I turn my brain off. You ready? Yes. Never worry about all those ratios. Worry instead based on what you're used to paying in either rent or mortgage, how it has fit in your life, and how reasonable it is to stay in that same range, or could you really afford to step up to a higher monthly payment from what you have been paying? You know, in the, in the qualification systems that banks have, they will often qualify you for way more than you're going to be comfortable handling in your monthly budget. So the ratios, if you looked at the ratios as absolute max 
spending on a house with everything in your life always being perfect, we know life is not perfect. So if you don't like my suggestion of basing it on what you've been comfortable paying over time, then i like for you to see, based on what you qualify for, stepping it back 10 to 20% so that the monthly payment will leave some breathing room in your life and not just wheezing room. Okay. Josh, what have you been paying per month to live? My current location? Yeah. Uh, uh, about $1,500, which includes insurance and, and uh, taxes. And after you pay that 1500 how are you doing overall financially? I mean, I'm I'm doing great. I'm uh, I mean, we're we're funding TSP and and we're saving for other things. Um, I guess I'm yeah, I'm looking at increasing significantly. And the other aspect too is, you know, there's there's all these factors changing at once: the standard of living, the real estate market, as well as my own salary. And so, navigating all of those and and trying to figure out what would be best. Well, I know, I know the way I approach this sounds so intellectual, but so you're at this $1,500 marker right now. You're still able to generate excess cash in your life each month. So how much of that would you be comfortable eating into to go to a higher monthly payment? That's the $1,000 monthly question there. It's Clark. I, I guess I'll have to figure that out I guess, you know because I, I want to invest in a home that's good for my my family and so I'm I'm happy to spend a little bit more but I but I at the same the time point. I don't want to put you into a situation where you're miserable trying right. to figure out how to live each month so that's why I I always default to starting with what you spend right now and figuring out with that as the base how much higher can you really go before your life really becomes uncomfortable each month financially. So that's how I'd make that call. And I know that's unconventional, but my experience is that that's what really works for people. The irony of what I just said, Josh, is I always tell people never to be a payment buyer for a car. But then I turn around and say, I want you to think in terms of what's a reasonable payment for a home. And the reason is a home is a place that you can live, you raise your family, and so we have to have a place to live. We don't have to have a newer car. So one is necessary, the other is usually optional. Mark is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Mark. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Mark. You want to talk about... Uh, the TSA. Uh, I, I guess they're the ones uh, in charge of this mess. I've, I read an article. Uh, I'm traveling in April. I read an article, and I don't have it in front of me. Um, but it was about driver's licenses as IDs uh, traveling in different places and the requirements that the different states have to follow Apparently, some licenses aren't going to be real licenses anymore, and I need to figure out uh, what, what kind of situation I'm going to be in when I try to travel. All right, so the rules just changed. <laughs> the notices that you may have read that your driver's license was going to prevent you from flying, that has been modified yet again. And so... 
let me see if I can explain this in a way that will that will make some sense. Uh, I would be impressed. All right, let's see how well I can do it. So there was a law that was passed after the terrorist attacks back in 01. It was passed not too long after that to require states, when they issue driver's licenses, to really know who they're issuing a license to. Because there was a worry that it was too easy for people to present ID that was fake ID who were terrorists or people up to no good. And so the new real ID requirement is really an old ID requirement that goes back more than a decade, but has been delayed again and again and again. And every time a new deadline is made, it ends up being pushed back. So what you saw originally, the government Homeland Security issued a release saying that people in the following nine states would no longer be able to fly if they did not have an alternate form of ID like a passport. And those states, I'll name them, Kentucky, Missouri, Pennsylvania, Maine, Minnesota, Montana, Oklahoma, South Carolina, and Washington. And... As of a couple of weeks ago, people from those states would no longer be able to fly with a driver's license. The and other has states, that actually happened. People have been turned that was supposed. That was what Homeland Security originally said in the most recent time. That was what you probably read about in that story. That was then delayed, and so that is no longer the case. So now. In states that are compliant, you have until October 20th, October 2020, to get a new license. In the other states, the deadline has been pushed, those ones I named, has been pushed to later this fall, with the idea using the time between now and then to push those nine states to get into compliance with true with real id so for the foreseeable future it's it's not going to hold anybody up at an actual airport as right. long as their driver's license is uh, reasonably recent um we used to have 10-year driver's licenses so i mean there are you know it's, there's no telling how old some licenses would still be well i got a notice that i don't know how it came about uh, maybe because I fly so much, I don't know if they're that sophisticated. But I was told my driver's license was being terminated early and that I had to go in and do real ID. And so I did, and my driver's license in the upper right-hand corner has a star on it. And that means that I'm compliant. I had taken a passport and all this other stuff, and now I'm compliant. But the main point is that the deadline that was supposed to have already taken place for the non-compliant states, that's nothing happened, nothing changed. But later this year, possibly, people from those nine states will have to use an alternative form of government-issued ID to fly. Gosh, that's confusing. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at clark.com. And then producer Joel gets the privilege to be able to share your question 
with me. All right, Clark. Shirley wants to know, she says, what can be done about most every access we go to on the internet and most purchases we buy, we have to agree to these terms and conditions clauses. These are page and pages of mice type guaranteeing that they can take everything we own and give all our information to everyone in the universe and we can't do anything about it, even if they get lose our data. Uh, and it takes 30 minutes to read. How can we stop this abuse of the public? Ha! Huh. What a wonderful question. So the terms of service that you have with any e-commerce company are written as completely one-sided things by the lawyers working for the website. And a lot of the language is uh, plug and play. It's something that's been plugged in website after website that takes away every possible right you could have as a living human being and gives you all the responsibility and all the privilege to whoever's selling to you. I haven't worried about that with the e-commerce side of the equation because retail is so intensely competitive that any company that abuses customers will quickly suffer severely in the marketplace. Now, that's when you're buying stuff. When you visit websites and you sign up for anything with them that's a different story because they have all kinds of rights that they're reserving for themselves to take your personal information and use it how they wish and that is clearly something that can be abused and there's not marketplace discipline for it it's really something that is one of those areas that there ought to be a law. We don't have such a thing in the United States. Europe now has strict laws for privacy that protect you when you go to a website. I think they're reasonable and they don't inhibit commerce at all. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast of our show, I'd love it if you'd subscribe. Whatever your favorite podcast app is, we're pretty much there. And whether you love what you hear from me or hate it, take time to write a review. It's how we all learn from each other is from those reviews.